This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchtowers. Hello, my name is Elliot, and this is another episode of the North American Waterfowler. Tonight, I've got with me another YouTube personality and personal friend. I've got Jake from Chasing Green. How's it going tonight, Jake? Pretty good, man. I'm thankful to be here, and I appreciate you having me, bud. Yeah, anytime that we can talk. I've had a lot of time. I mentioned this on a different podcast. I really enjoyed our last day together because you and I have not really had as time was just the two of us we were just talking and i felt like all the driving we did and and hanging out at my house that we got to really just talk and talk and talk and talk um i I really valued that i thought that that was some great great conversation we talked about southern hunting we talked and some of the spiritual stuff we talked about has really impacted my life in a great way as well my wife and I have been praying every single night since that time. Some of the things we talked about, like, you know, I've really been able to do a better job about being consistent and implementing. And I just want to thank you for that day. That whole weekend was even we didn't shoot anything, but it was a great weekend. Yeah, man, I agree. I always learn so much when we're together, whether it be like you said about ducks or life, just the cultural differences and I mean, we went from everything to duck hunting to rebel flags to God talk to just like all over right. the board that day. And yeah. uh, our conversations are always just really entertaining to me. So I always enjoy it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So I don't know if that weekend is even I normally kind of go through a hunt recap and I don't know if that weekend is even worthy of that. So the last two days of the duck hunting season. Jake and Aiden and I hunted together on Saturday, and then just Jake and I, we didn't actually end up hunting. We just were looking for places to hunt on Sunday. You want to? You have any thoughts about that last weekend? I know that you were not happy with the closure 
of the season. But do you have any thoughts on that weekend or summarizing anything? I'm just going to let you say whatever you want to say about that weekend. That'll be the, the recap. Well, I think that the previous few years and the way that the weather conditions had been had set us up to to hope a little more than we should have. I think the drought and the extended earlier cold this year drove more ducks out than the previous past couple of years. Like it's been warm the past two or three years and you know, your area has been loaded for the most part. And this year it just seemed like the ducks didn't hang as far north that late into January. So it was a struggle just to find birds period. And then, I mean, we tried the, about the craziest thing I've ever tried. We were hunting in 30 foot of water with, yeah. with rig and rights tied on string. Yeah. And uh, the boat anchored down in two different positions. Like the only place we found mallards sitting, we're out in the middle of this reservoir in 60 feet of water. And it turns out that they were literally just living there. Like they went to sleep <laughs> there and they woke up there. <laughs> and the only time they left was to go a couple hundred yards to a refuge marsh and sit on the ice and eat. So it was, uh, <laughs> these, these birds were almost impossible to, to hunt. So, but we gave it a good shot and I felt like I learned a lot from that little experience. So as far it was, as like it was fun. It, it was definitely an adventure. I mean, Aiden, Jake, and I out in the dark in the boat trying to change decoys from four foot to what did we end up? How deep did we end up rigging each one? Like 25, 20 to 25 feet. Yeah. And just like we had this little system going where I was cutting the cord and Jake and Aiden were tying them on. And I mean, we got it done. It, it was we implemented the plan great this was the only like jake said it's the only place the birds were and there were a ton of mallards on this open reservoir but they just they sat there sat there and yeah, laughed at us from a distance it was flawless execution i'm talking flawless we we didn't even think we'd be ready by sheet and light which we thought was going to be critical <laughs> but we were ready two mallards dumped in a little too far right off the bat we're, we're like things are looking up this is going to be good but that was literally the, the only two ducks there right. were only two mallards for the rest of the morning. So it, it was just a, a really, really difficult time of hunting that whole last weekend and last week. Right. There's really not a whole lot more to be said about it. It was a fun weekend, and he got to watch the Chiefs game with me and got to uh, hang out with my family, hang out with the parents. He witnessed my mom trying to swindle me out of some money. Which was worth all of it. So that, give, that give a, just a quick little explanation of how my mom tried to swindle me out of money well first of all elliot's mom's just this sweet lady she's a good christian lady she's awesome you you just you don't get a, a salesman type vibe off of her but she did used to be a real estate agent so <laughs> she does have a bubbly personality so she comes in dear and i don't remember if it was half hour or what trying to trying to get elliot to take this shirt that she had bought for carl and uh and said it was too big so um Elliot didn't like the first one. It was a little too big for him. So she takes it back and comes back with another shirt. <laughs> and she talks him into buying that one, actually. Or actually getting that one. But Yeah, she talks me into accepting it as mine, which I didn't really like it that much. I'm, I'm trying and I'm looking at my wife. like how does she? Because really, like if she likes it, I'm wearing it. If she doesn't, I'm not. Right. So I'm kind of looking at her. I can, I can get from my wife. It's like, eh, eh, it's fine. Kind of vibe from my wife. So I was like, I will. Okay, I'll take this one. Yeah, yeah. So he decides to take it, and then 
I don't know what she was like. Well, I'm going to need about 45 bucks or something like that. <laughs> she, she tried to sell it to him and wouldn't give it to him when he wouldn't pay her. So uh, that was his straight boss level moves right there. I, I loved every bit of that. Yeah, after after I accepted it, she's trying to make me pay for it. And I thought I really did think they were gonna leave it and but I had my eye on it and as, as they left the house I saw my dad pick it up and out they go. <laughs> oh, that was great though. I laughed forever about that. That was awesome. Now in my mom was claiming she was only asking me ten bucks for it, so um, oh, okay. <laughs> so guys, if, if you're listening to this publicly, this is available. The video version of this is available on Patreon. So anyone who is a Patreon member, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting gets to attend these, watch the video feed, comment along. And so my mom's comment on, she said it's only $10. Jake's memory is 45. My memory is 150. So it's somewhere between 10 and 150. She does claim that she had no idea my dad took it out of there, but I thought that was an even slicker move on her part. To have him walk out with it, and she's like, what? I didn't, I, I, well, Carl, you took that? <laughs> yeah, she's she's definitely got a little salesman in her, for sure. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Well, her father, actually, my grandfather was a used car salesman, so. And, <laughs> gotcha. and she was, you know, tricking everyone to spending way over their head for houses. I remember she used to come home on Sundays, man, I got those fools. They can never afford that house. <laughs> no. Yeah, not, but, uh, <laughs> not true. I don't see her doing that. <laughs> All right. She is sweet. Yeah, she she's awesome. She's awesome. Um, all right, so move, moving on, I want to talk. I've got a lot of things lined up to talk with you about. Um, I want to get a, just a little background of you, how you got into the sport of waterfowling, and then why did you start decide to start Chasing Greed YouTube channel? And make sure, folks, you know where where you grew up, where you did most of your hunting, and and why did you start the channel? Okay, so I'm from Arkansas. That's where I've hunted just about all of my duck hunting career. And it's really hard to explain to people how deep duck hunting runs and people from Arkansas if you're not from there. It's a huge part of the culture. Um, a lot of kids grow up doing it. So my dad duck hunted almost every day. And he started taking me a little bit when I was like two or three years old. Uh, some of the first memories I have are of duck hunting and uh, like handling an old Haydell call. And uh, it just kind of expanded from there. He, by the time I was six, seven, eight, he was starting to take me like every weekend. And I mean, basically since the time I can remember, I've been a duck hunter and it was all about duck hunting gear and, and all those smells and sounds and just it's always been in the blood for me. And so. And where were uh, you living I, at that time? Is it the same I was place in, you live now or different? No, I was in Southeast Arkansas at that time. So we, we were in the Arkansas Delta is wide to the North. And then it wise down and kind of bottles bottlenecks into Louisiana where I grew up like 20 minutes from the Louisiana line. And that's why it was so good. The Delta bottlenecks there, it goes from 150 miles wide to maybe I don't know, 30 or 40 miles wide. So all the ducks coming through that channel, the Mississippi River Flyway, are gonna go through there to get to Louisiana. And, and can uh, you explain when you say the Delta what that to what that exactly means geographically? Okay, so Arkansas kind of has a few different terrain types. It has the Ozark Mountains, the mountainous terrains, uh, kind of like Appalachia type stuff. 
and then it drops off into where the Mississippi River used to run. I mean, the Mississippi River used to be a lot bigger. There's a couple other rivers that used to run through there too, but basically it created this huge flatland delta. And um, it's obvious. I mean, you're like on the mountains and hills and then you drop off and it's just flat as far as I can see. And it's all farm ground now or, or duck fields. And um, it's just a huge river basin basically Okay. that's flat and floods. And that's where most... You know, I'd say 85 to 90 percent of Arkansas duck hunting, that's where it takes place in the Arkansas Delta. Now, there are some, there is some duck hunting that goes on the southwest side of the state and, you know, up in the mountains as well, mountain area, I should say, not the mountains, but most of it takes place in the Delta. And that's where I grew up on the south side of that. And uh, we had really good duck hunting. I mean, it's phenomenal. And it was just the numbers the duck numbers alone would just be mind-blowing uh, to see if you've never seen it. So, of course, we had a lot of different terrain types. We had green timber hunting, which you hear so much about. We had more swampy stuff, like what you would think of of Louisiana, marshy stuff. And we had ag fields and just a wide variety of stuff to hunt. And it was a really good place to grow up and learn a lot of different styles. And really, uh, to be around such a hardcore duck hunting culture, because it kind of forces the best out of a lot of people. Um, it's, it's a lot more of a competitive vibe, which can be more, it can be good and bad. So, um, I grew up there and duck hunted every day that I could from the day I graduated high school till, till, till today. But growing up, you know, being so close to Louisiana, we grew up on duck commander. Um, that was huge in the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, that was what, if you wanted to watch duck hunt videos, that's what you had. There wasn't a YouTube or anything like that. And like the old long-form DVDs they were cranking out? Yeah. Yeah, the first one came out in like the late 80s. The second one came out in like the mid to late 90s. And then the early 2000s, they started cranking them out like almost every year. And we would just watch those all summer long. I mean, they were just incredible. And I still watch them this day. They are the best duck hunt videos out there, in my opinion. And... um they hunted a lot like us, big groups of people, and they shot really well. It was just so good, it's so awesome to watch them hunt. But anyway, I this that captured me when I was 10, 11 years old. I loved it. I mean, Phil Robertson's had a huge impact on my life, not just duck hunting wise, but spiritually and everything else. So I just, from the time I was 10, I wanted to do that. I wanted to film duck hunts and, and make make duck hunt videos and really so you were you were actually thinking about filming at 10 oh that was the plan but really like that was what it, is that something you talked with your dad about did he do any filming at all not really i mean i got my first camera when i was 13 or 14 and i would kind of film a little bit then that would have been like 2003 2004 so the cameras were pretty garbage back then so We'd film a little bit, but you know, I had no idea what it took back then. It was just more messing around. But it was. Do you still, still have some of that footage from way back then? I don't, man. I oh. wish I did. I wish I did, but I got lost. And and that footage don't hold up too well if you don't have it converted. Like mm -hmm. those old tapes, they deteriorate really easy. But, um, so I was on fire to do it from back then, and uh, was really 
I do have some like vlog type stuff I was doing back then and I was watching it with my wife. I was like 13 and it was literally no different than what I'm doing now. It was like <laughs> the same thing, which was crazy to watch. I didn't even realize it until I watched that back. But anyway, it's been on my brain to do for a long time. And then I met Glenn um, right around when I graduated high school and he wanted to do the same thing. He, you know, he hunted every day just like me, he loved duck hunting and wanted to film hunts. And so we were just looking for an opportunity or a vehicle to do that. And before YouTube, it was all, you know, TV shows. It was really hard to break into. And then YouTube rolled around, and I was like, this is this is it. This is the perfect opportunity to do what we want to do. And um, so we, we hit it wide open, or tried our best to anyway. Unfortunately, like, our the beginning of our filming coincided with the downfall of Arkansas duck hunting. So mm -hmm. um, it was really getting tough in our area, and um, it was tough those first few years. I mean, everything we had known had just went to crap, and it was really hard to scratch out videos. But we started traveling and, um, and started learning a lot of new stuff, and it was great. Yeah, and that's kind of how we met, because you were traveling up into my area, and... Um... We you'd send a couple of I imagine a couple of private messages, then we talked on the phone, and um, then you just spend more and more time kind of in the area, and that's kind of how that how that took place. And I know the first year you had a lot of Glenn with you all every hunt. Did you just do one year with Glenn? No, I two? think we did. We we really did three, but the second okay. one, I mean, it was our worst season ever. We only got like two or three videos that entire okay. year. <clears throat> So it was really about three years. Okay. So At least I still had him. He was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and so I got great. the opportunity to hunt with him um, once or twice, and yeah, he was really calm. Dis In fact, the first time, second, first time we hunted together, I was driving so fast, uh, he got car sick in the middle of like four a.m. I had to stop the car, and he was puking out the side of the car. I'm like, why did I not have the camera with me? <laughs> yeah, me too. That would have been great. But, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. So. Transitioning a, a little bit, um, last episode that I posted, um, I had a comment of the week, and it was about Spinner Talk. And I don't know if you heard any of, of what I was saying about Spinner, and I know that in Arkansas in public, you guys can't use them. But my, the main thing I was saying is that I don't want to use spinners, but when I take them away, I always seem to be shown by the birds that it's better with a spinner than without. And I and I, I, I openly would love to leave them at home but it's just seems to me as though it's always better with <clears throat> and i also admitted that i do have a bias towards it so that may play into it like i just once you kind of decide well i think it's this way it's hard to when you're just talking about objective data where observational data right where you're not actually doing anything where you're writing down and have any test samples or anything it's like observational data once you get a little bit of a bias towards something observational data becomes very very difficult to be clear-minded on but for me personally every time i almost every time i pull a spinner the situation gets worse so what are your thoughts on if i don't know if you heard what i said about it um in the shorts or on the long form or what are your thoughts on spinners in general and specifically late season uh, I did hear what you had to say, and I don't know. I mean, I'll say this. We had some really good hunts at the end of January, and we used a spinner like two of those mm -hmm. two days. So, I mean, we did 
those two days we shot 50, 25, and 23, we didn't use a spinner. We started out with it, and it just it didn't. It seemed like they were bumping off something, so we took it up. But I think it was more us. I'm kind of like you. It's hard to say. I mean, I just typically try to do as little as possible that might mess them up. So if I can get by without it, I will not use it late in the season. And that's just because it just seems to be another thing that some of them may bump off of. And I've killed a pile of them without it. So I've got a ton of confidence in not using it. Right. And late season, I mean, even calling. I mean, I've seen them flare off live ducks. I mean, a live hen will light up and the birds bump just because, like, they're they're so pressured and by the last week or so. And so if I can do anything I can do to limit their their variables to, to bump off me, I'll try to take them out. So that's one I usually won't run. However, if I'm having to run traffic or trying to attract their attention from a long ways, you know, I always try them. And I'm, I'm kind of like you as well as I've never really, I can't think of a time where having it or not just made a huge difference. So. Right. And I, there's nothing you said I disagree with. The thing that, that I always recoil about people that make comments in too strong. I think you worded it perfectly. What I, what I, for some reason, there's something in me where people say, oh, man, geese hate spinners. I'm like, really? You have enough data to say they hate them? Because I've seen them in the river land on them more than one time. So it's like, how, how when a bird's coming, like every hunt is so different, right? And mm -hmm. so you've shot plenty without spinners on those days, but that doesn't say anything about what would have happened with spinners. Sure. We know we can kill them with or without spinners, depending on the day. And every hunt is different. Every wind is different. Every situation is different. And so what I don't, what I don't know, and I'm, I ask again, if anyone really feels like that they have solid data, and the only thing I ever get is observational data, right? Well, I think I, right. But then people state it as though it's like, oh, I know this, right? It's like, well, how, how are you coming to that point? Every hunt's different. Every wind's different. And when they flare, how do you know that it was the spinner that did it? Unless the to me the only the only adequate data is either two people on the same pool very close together or midway through the hunt you're pulling it. Yeah. And then you're actually mentally focused on the difference between the two. And even even if you do that once or twice, you're going to need a lot of data to conclude that yes, one one way or another. But people speak it out like it's truth in such a such a dogmatic way and i just can't get on i can't get in my mind what are you witnessing and how many times are you witnessing it to see such a clear defined so i, I put out a video one time and people do this on videos like crazy so it was that little timber slough that you say is kind of like an arkansas place you haven't hunted um mm -hmm. i think you probably know where it's at and yeah. i after the hunt was over I, I felt like i hadn't well actually we we're waiting for our bonus duck and I wanted to just get more footage of mallards coming in for the video. So I let my guide, I let my guard down about hide and I was kind of sitting out in the open and mallards were dropping right down in and they were getting in the hole and they were flailing out. And on the video, they were doing this right over the spinner. I cannot tell you how many times I had people tell me it. Now when I put on, oh, let me take a step back. When I put this footage footage into the video, people didn't, didn't know it was after the hunt was over. I just, filtered it in because it was cool cool footage yeah. um but 
I can't tell you how many comments I got that I was an idiot for not pulling the spinner. They were obviously flaring off the spinner. Now, they weren't there to see where I was sitting, but I know 1,000% they were not flaring off the spinner. They were flaring because I was now sitting out in the open, where during the hunt I wasn't. Yeah. But that, that's like a small example of the same things that people do when they hunt. They see one little sliver of data, and they, boom, they make a conclusion. It's not sure. apples to apples exactly because they're watching a video, but it's it's the same thing. Like that day you and Aiden and I were hunting, we came up with a thousand different reasons as to what was taking place, why the ducks weren't finishing. And finally, Aiden talked us into moving 10 yards back. That That's what it was. Yeah, that that's was what it was. A, we a knew, ag- but that. how many people would have first said that was spinner? It's a spinner. I would have probably. Right. Or I, I thought that they wouldn't seeing us like like our spread like it's like they would just wasn't paying attention to us right which was weird but I, none I of was, us thought it was our hide really aiden kind of kept nagging on us but we've shot duck you've shot ducks i've shot ducks there in that same spot plenty of times sitting in the exact same way and finishing yeah right yeah i was blown away it made that big of a difference right so so it, point being i i just feel like in in so many cases not just in waterfowl hunting but in general when we're dealing with observational data You've got to be a little less dogmatic about what you think happened because you're not, sure. you, you don't really know you're suspecting, you're suspecting. So to get a couple of examples and then be like, I never use spinners in late season. They just don't work. Those are the type of statements that I want to start, that I feel myself wanting to prickle at and push back against. It's like, really, you sure. know, they don't work based on Well, what? I think every day is completely different and it's a thousand percent dependent upon that day so there's certain conditions that make birds a lot more what i call ducky like they're going to fall in no matter what on the right days and there's some days you got to do this or that to make them come in and there's just so many variables even within the day i mean a lot of people don't realize it but the way the sun is hitting your spinner makes a massive difference i mean you can stand on one side of it and it there's no flash at all because the sun's on the opposite side and you stand on that opposite side and it looks like a a strobe light because the sun the rays of it make a massive difference on the amount of flash that's given off right and you know the birds obviously see it different from above but just the sun changing its angle can make it more visible or not i've studied this and looked at it from long distances i mean there's a lot of different things going on but I think a safe bet is to just be willing to try anything, and I'll always bring it. So I'll always have it with me, and I can throw it out and take it down in like five minutes. So it doesn't take that much to try it and see what's happening, you right? Because every day is different. I mean, we shot a pile of them over it on one of our hunts that that last week. But just in general, late in the season, um, if I can get away without using it, I typically will. But if right. I think I need it, I'm not scared to put it out by no means. I mean, yeah. That's well, why. That's why I have, being under a lot of birds is important. Like, if you've only got a group or two that you can't mess up, you know, you can't really experiment as much. But if you're under a lot of birds, you can play with them all morning long until you figure out kind of what's working. Yeah, uh, that's another thing about waterfowl hunting. I just find so fascinating. It's like you have some days where you kill almost everything you see and it's a great day. But then you have other days you see thousands and you might kill your limit. It's like the percentage of birds that do it that you see is such a variable yeah. in, in hunting that it's just another thing that's just fascinating about would you rather have, I think I know the answer to this, but would you rather have a day where you're seeing thousands and you end up getting it done 
um, over like a four or five hour period? Or would you rather have a day where you only see maybe two or three times of what you actually shoot your limit, but get it done a little quicker? I'm always down to stay out there longer because my calendar says duck season. So, <laughs> so like I like extended hunts. I like shooting birds later in the morning. So I would probably take the thousands and also I like playing that game with them. Like I like making the adjustments and, and figuring out what it takes that day. So I like those days personally. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll take those quick shoots where all the ones you see do it, but I definitely like the extended hunts where you kind of had to do a few things to, to make it finally happen. But when it does happen, it's so much sweeter than just when they just do perfect. You know? Yeah. But, sometimes when you get so many of them though, and you get like one group out of every 60 groups you see, it gets so frustrating because you yeah. get to the point where sometimes you're like, well, there's another group, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. We had a day like that this past year, buddy. It was frustrating, man. And there's this some days there's nothing you can do, literally nothing. I mean, like you just try a thousand things and nothing works, but you just kind of got to wait on the right ones. You know, like you said, yeah. one out of every 60 groups to do it. You just got to wait on that one. Right. My dad and I have talked about this a lot over the years. It's like sometimes he, sometimes he, he felt like he would rather be in an area with less ducks because you have a better chance of trafficking him versus being oh let me let me try to restate this better he always talked about how ducks have like one mind they're all like hived into the same mind you see one group do something the next five or six may or probably may do the exact same thing and finally like you know every single group of ducks is going to perform exactly the same as the other one so his kind of philosophy was he liked to be off away a little farther from those big ducks now with you i, I i'm thinking you're you'd rather have a bunch of guys calling like mad which we never did that tactic with my dad and I, but he, he always preferred, like, I'd rather have less ducks, a small little pocket, um, where I can affect them more than being really close to masses of ducks where they're all locked in on the same thing. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's completely dependent upon the day. Uh, there's definitely something to what he's saying. I mean, it's like, like I've done, I did a video on running traffic and in my experience, it's like this, you can hunt the same spot five days in a row. And you could have the same number of ducks flying over it. You know, say there's 50,000 flying over the spot every day, five days in a row. You may hunt it three days and not fire a shot and go in there on the fourth day and, like, you pull 20% of them. It, to me, like, trying to pull birds off that big congregation is all about the conditions. You have to have the right conditions, and they got to be wanting to, to work with you. And so there's some days where I wouldn't mind, to answer your question, being under the whole bunch because i know i'll get them on some days but then there's some days like you said you're just going to sit there and call to your blue in the face you're not going to fire a shot and you'd rather be on less birds that are going to act better right on some small pocket and that's one thing that that you this is one thing you have that i absolutely don't that makes me value your opinion so much is that when duck season here you're like trying to hunt every single day and i don't have that luxury so it's like I, I can't really factor weather in because on Saturday I got to go. And uh, sure. whereas you're like, you know, the ducks on Monday did this on Tuesday in the same place. They did this on Wednesday, which allows you to probably, I'm assuming, weave together a story of kind of why and what over a set of days where I just don't I don't have that that luxury to do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a benefit to be able to 
to hunt every day and but like like you you know you got to go when you can you got to make the best of what you what you got and i mean you can definitely kill them on any weather conditions but as far as running traffic in my opinion unless it's some special case you need specific conditions to have the best chance for success so if i was only going to get that one day you know say as a saturday if i didn't have if it was going to be cloudy and calm and 60 degrees i'm not going to go try to run traffic you know what i mean right they're just not going to be ducky um most days you know nine times out of ten but if it's going to be 30 mile an hour winds front blowing through they're a lot more out to listen to you you know like they just it's a crazy how much better they'll act on the right days so yeah well, that is a great kickoff to the podcast. We are just getting this started. We got a lot more to come. When we come back from a real quick break. We're going to hit comment of the week where I've got some very special YouTube comments for Jake to respond to. And then we're going to dive deep into the culture of the South. And Jake's going to help me better understand what it's like to grow up as a duck hunter in the South and how they have developed doing things the way that they do it. So we'll be right back here on the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I gotta strike this chord with the humble hearts Bearing heavy chains and blue collar scars Never mm-hmm. bleed they're gonna get the way If it don't take that fire, take it to the grave mm-hmm. It's trying to Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, so thank you so much for still being here with us. We are now going to jump into, if you listen to the last episode, you know I was going to beg old Timmy Cochran to make a little comment of the week jingle. So here we go. This is today's episode, Comment of the Week. Time for Comment of the Week. All right, Jake, this, I tried to pull Comment of the Weeks. I've got three here, two of them come from hunts that you were actually on with me. I went into those videos and I'm like, I'm going to come up with a couple comments here that people actually put on my YouTube channel from when you were there. All right. Awesome. Here we go. Here's number one. This one comes from Kurt Roberts and he says, first time I ever heard that gadwalls taste bad and I have hunted in Arkansas for years. Yeah. I mean, some people have bad taste buds, man. (laughs) (laughs) I know people who eat a lot of crap I wouldn't eat. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's his fault. His he just has some bum taste buds. I, I really I've like seen this in, in scientific like data before. Like there actually are people who have what they call super taste buds. They can they're a lot more sensitive than other people's. I think I have that. Because I can tell a huge difference in ducks and a lot of people can't, you know, and that's awesome. I wish that I didn't, but I do. So, so 
it's uh, I, I've said it said it before as well. I think it's completely dependent upon what they've been eating. Um, you know, a duck's diet varies widely, even in the same state. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, that there's gadwalls that taste great. I mean, I've I've seen this happen time and time again. You can see it real good with snow geese when they switch from more of a grain to a straight green dot in the spring. I mean, they get, you know, their their taste changes a lot. So what's better, grain or green? I would say grain personally, but I grain, mean, yeah, and but you know, there's a lot of people who don't mind no matter when they eat them, and I'll still eat all these ducks if i shoot it i'm gonna eat it but um there's definitely there's some i have to marinate a little longer <laughs> you know right. a mallard i typically don't have to do anything to i just throw him on the grill throw a little salt and pepper on him and he's ready to go i would agree and i would say so from this hunt if you haven't watched the video um i put on a little mid-hunt taste test for jake and glenn where we did mallard and gadwall side by side and i was so all of us tasted it and all of us did agree the mallard tasted better um, that was unanimous. Uh, I think that maybe, I don't know if this, I think maybe from at least in that experience, Jake and I's opinion kind of slid a little closer together where I'm saying, okay, there's probably more of a difference between Mallard and Gadwall than what I gave credit to. And at least in that instance, Jake said, well, that Gadwall wasn't too bad. So no, nah, he wasn't, he wasn't too bad, but it's, if I was just eating duck once every two weeks, you know, I, I probably wouldn't care as much. But when you eat duck, like, almost every day when you're killing them, yeah. uh, man, I'm just, you get to the point where you don't even want to look at a guy walk. Mallards and green-winged teal, they never get, never get old. Let's move on to the second comment we've got here. This is from a different video um, that Jake was on on my channel. It's from Ryan Grindall. He said, whoever thinks a redhead is a trash bird should sell all their duck hunting gear and go be something else. <laughs> okay. I don't know how many mallards we shot in this spot before Elliot got there. I mean, it had to have been getting close to like 80. I don't know. <laughs> I we wasn't were, there for those hunts. We were smoking. That didn't happen we on the day we were there. I'm just saying, well, it could have. We, we, we set up a little late in the wrong spot. But either way. We, we shot limits after limits, nothing but mallards. And the first day after like a week of hunting, the first duck, off duck to get shot was Elliot. And it was a redhead hen. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that was just, that's just the cultural thing. When you're from Arkansas, you're a little bit more apt to be a greenhead purist. And I'm definitely, I definitely got a little bit of that in me. So right. I was just messing with you. There's really nothing, nothing against that. If, you know, whatever makes somebody happy, but it was definitely, I couldn't let that just go. I mean, it was a good, I think on the thumbnail of that video, I actually blackened it out of uh, the duck and I saw it. And I was like, trash duck? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah. care for diver hens, I will admit, but I do fully appreciate a beautiful Drake redhead. Um, now on a day where I know I'm going to shoot a mallard limit, or I think I might shoot a mallard limit. I would probably now that day we knew at that time that I'd shot that we knew that there probably weren't any limits happening and I hadn't shot my bonus duck yet. But on, on a good day where the mallards were doing it right, I would still take a, a Drake redhead if it was beautiful and showed itself. I just I love I don't my thing is I really like those beautiful drakes in my hands so I can look at them and appreciate them. And a redhead sure. beautiful redhead Drake is I might go two or three years without actually having one in my hands, getting to look at the iridescence of its head and everything. So. In any any day, well, 
almost every day because ultimately my goal is a pintail bull and five mallards. So there might be a few days which I'd pass it up. But generally speaking, if I get a fantastic redhead drake right there, I'm going to probably take it. But oh, not I'm so the same way. I love uh, redhead drakes. I mean, they're beautiful. And I've not shot a lot of them. So anytime yeah. I get a chance on a really pretty one, I'm going to take it as well. And that's but, one of the – go ahead. I was just going to say there were about 20,000 mallards sitting straight out in front of us. So <laughs> to say we, we didn't stand a chance, I don't think that. We shot our fair share. I mean, I we think shot you were just itching to shoot that hen, is what it was. I was itching to shoot anything. I had been listening to you guys talk about how many birds you've been shooting for days. You guys were on like seven or eight limits in a row, and I show up. That's, see, that's what happens with Golden Boy, and it happened all year this year. I bet you four or five times it happened where Golden's shooting limits, and I show up, and then, well, then we shot him yesterday. <laughs> Or then the spike in the coffin was when he was out hunting with Elijah and me and we were shooting him consistently up until the minute he walked away. And then we didn't, we shot one, like one other bird after that. (laughs) He's got to tie into the boat, man. God, he's like my rabbit's foot, man. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, mine too. I've, I've been on a lot of good hunts with him myself. So yeah. Okay. So we've got the last one. This one is not from a hunt that you were on with me, but I was just thought I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are. This is from Lane Emerson. It says, it hurts me to watch how conservative you all are. I'm a diehard duck hunter, and if ducks came in like that in Tennessee, we would leave with as many as we could kill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's the difference between a southern hunter and a midwest hunter. Flesh that out a little bit. Um, I mean, I get that because I'm probably somewhere in between like a diehard Southern guy and you, like I want them in tight, but I'm not scared to take that second, third feather shot. Right. And I remember early on watching you that, that stood out. I was like, man, they could have dropped four or five more out of that flock. Like they just quit shooting after the first, you know, round or two, especially when it would just be like you and your dad, which I get now. I get mm-hmm. now why you do that. But just watching it, y'all would have ten come in and only kill one out of it, you know, and it's like, man, you need to be letting it fly, but he is time. So you say you get that now. What what are you, what are your thoughts on on it as to why we why that's kind of the way we do it? Well, for one, there's a lot more opportunity than what I realize. So it's not like on a good day you're you're having to t- make the most out of what you got. So you could land six more flocks and just shoot one out of it, you know. So I realize I do that sometimes when I hunt by myself now in certain places. So I realize that, and plus I just realize y'all's style is just not that. So right. Um, I totally respect it. I mean, and I will I'm say, not, I will shoot doubles. But the second shot, the second bird I pull the trigger at, my rule is if I'm not mad about missing it, I'm not pulling the trigger. Because I figure if I if I miss the shot and I'm not mad, then it's not the type of shot that I really think I should be killing. And so my wound rate is going to go up on that. And not only that, if I sail a bird 200 yards, I'm 50. My legs are not what they used to be. I don't want to walk 200 yards out into a marsh. That, honest to God, that has a lot to do with it. And that's I a don't great, want to be making those walks. That's a great point. And that's kind of how I am as well as far as like I only take shots that I'm willing to go chase that bird down if I have to. And there's definitely some shots that I'm willing to take that I know that that's a possibility. I mean, I rarely just shoot birds and not get them. I may have mm-hmm. to chase them 200 yards, like you said, but I usually get them. 
And uh, I wouldn't take a shot where I felt like, you know, that that was a bad percentage for me. So when I, if I was a little older or was in tougher terrain, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some terrain, like say a big lake where it's hard to get out of the boat or whatever and chase one down. I'm not shooting that third shot, but if I'm in right. shallow water and he's, he's going to have a tough time getting away from me. I'm not scared to, to take those forties, you know, right. I'm not going to go much beyond 40, but I feel very confident at that range. And that's key yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. See, I, I will take some 35 and forties, but it's not going to be like typically on those type of shots we're talking about, they're pretty much going away and you're shooting at the back end of them. I just don't, I just, am not confident in those. If I'm going to take those, it's going to be left to right where I can see its head and really put yeah. a nice beak. So I'm getting a lot more competent at that style of shot. And I'm going to do it at a time where I feel really, it's like there's a, there's a transition in a hunt where it's just like, okay, I'm going to start taking those because I'm not being able to finish them. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not being able to actually, and I know you are into it. You like finishing them as much as I do. Um, and I think another thing is with you typically hunt with more people than I do. Like you said, like if I'm by myself, I got five. Why, why try to, why even a lot of times if, if I know it's going to be good, why even do I want to take two out of a group and, and not get another opportunity of like that one hunt? Um, I was in the layout boat by myself. I shot a double on that. I'm like, man, there's two on my five right there. And now I'm having to sit and be like, yeah. man, this is almost over. Right. Sure. I had a couple of hunts this past season that were like epic teal hunts where I did the same thing. I literally could have shot my limit super fast, but even just shooting one IH group, it still only took me 20 minutes. So, so yeah. if I'd been doubling every time, it would have been five minutes. So uh, when I'm by myself, I'm way more apt to do that. Um, but if I'm in a group of guys, I will typically take the further shot mm-hmm. um, if we're landing a group, just because everybody tries to shoot those close in ones and you'll, you'll get more and everybody can shoot their own birds. If you have a couple of guys shooting the higher up ones and the ones further back. Yeah. So that's, that's where my long shots come. I'm rarely going to shoot long shots like on passing birds, like purely passing birds. I get no joy out of shooting a duck that's passing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I never do it because if it's super tough, I will. Um, But generally when I'm taking a long shot, it's either birds that are getting out that have been hit by somebody else or, Mm something like that they they have decoyed you know that's the key for me if they decoyed right now it's fair game until they get out of my range you know so yeah but i i don't shoot 40 yard passing shots and you know what we call tree topping them here in arkansas i just i don't that gives me no joy so yeah good stuff there are a couple more quest comments i want you to respond to but they're actually come from patrons so we're going to do that at the end where i put on a patreon you know i'm having jake on put up a couple questions so i've got two of those questions and we're going to hit those at the tail end and also if you're listening to it at the tail end of this this whole segment at the end is going to be patreon only and jake and i are going to talk about um, his time in kansas and he's going to break down and i think you're going to know why i didn't want to put this public He's going to break down for us why he's choosing to spend so much time in Kansas when he grew up in Arkansas. So if you want to get in on uh, that discussion, that's going to be patreon.com slash beyond stuck hunting, where that's the only place you're going to be able to see it. Uh, but let's What's transition. Kansas? What? What's Kansas? Yeah, it's anyway, 
how, how many? Here's I've got some. So these next set of, of topics that I came up with is, is is one thing getting to know you, getting to know Joel, getting to know Alan. I've actually hunted in Arkansas now. I had no, I never even thought about how different duck hunting can be. Not as far as the actual duck hunting from state to state, but the culture of what it's like and the perceptions of people around you from state to state. I had no idea that even existed. All I knew was I grew up in central Kansas. I knew what it was like to be a first an upland game hunter in Kansas and then transitioning into a waterfowl hunter around 1990. And I knew that none of my friends were doing it. No one talked about it. It was just, but I didn't stop to think of how different it could be from place to place. And so one thing that, that you, Jake, you and I have talked about this extensively. I've talked so less so with Joel, but it's just fascinates me on how different it actually is from place to place to place. And so I want to just spend a little time and try to dig into Southern culture, Southern hunting. And I've got some bullet points here, but if you think there's some interesting stuff that I'm missing that you just want to share about the South, Arkansas, Louisiana, so if I if I pose up a topic and you feel like going down a rabbit trail with something else, just dive down it, okay? Sure. All right. So first of all, how many of your friends or your social group when you were growing up, like middle school, early high school, how many of your friends and your social group hunted at that stage of your life? Hunted in general, most. I mean, that would be hard to say, but I mean, what about waterfowl? A lot. I mean, that's hard to say. I mean, a substantial number, more than half. Yeah, yeah. I'd say. And so, at the age of like middle school, early high school, when you were with your friends, how much did you guys talk about water hunting? Um. Well, at that age, you got a lot of stuff on your mind, whether it be football, girls, or girls. whatever. <laughs> right. You know. So, um, I mean. Waterfowl is definitely talked about. I mean, in Arkansas, it's very hard to to put into words how much of a of like a pop culture thing it is. Almost, I mean, it's 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 definitely got a cool vibe to it to duck hunt. I mean, we've got the Wings Over the Prairie Festival, the World Duck Calling Championship. I mean, there's just so much that goes on in the state that has to do with duck season. So, it's definitely talked about. I mean, I, I, it would even be a conversation I would have with my football coaches. You know, when you walk in to work out on Monday, they say, what happened over the weekend? Right. <laughs> They're trying to get some intel, you know. And uh, just teachers, uh, your classmates, it's just a, it's a pretty talked about thing. And it's just, it carries so much weight in Arkansas. It's a, it's a super valuable thing to be a duck hunter there and, and to – to really be able to call or to have a spot or whatever. I mean, it, it's a thing of value. It carries currency there just because people love it so much. It runs so deep in the blood. So it's definitely so out, of, out of the various towns that you lived, your town, even if you want to include like Stuttgart in this, cause I know that name sticks out to me because that's mm -hmm. one everyone's heard of, but the, the, the communities in general. Um, so everyone in the town, would be aware that waterfowl hunting's a huge part of the culture of the town? Or are there some people that never think about it, don't even think about the fact that people do it? Is it like a global thing? With well, no, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely more popular in certain areas. Like I talked about the Arkansas Delta, you know, if you were from the west side of the state or northwest, I'm, they have duck hunters there, but it's not near as, 
a big a thing as it is on the east side of the state where more of the duck hunting takes place. So, mm-hmm. you know, most of the duck hunters are on that east side. I mean, you have, like I said, plenty that come from the west, but it's more of a, a culturally relevant thing in the schools and stuff and the people and businesses and everything, you know, on the east side. I mean, some of them towns are just like some of the towns in Kansas. I mean, it's hard not to know duck season's open because there's suddenly a thousand more people in town. You know, it's right. like right. <laughs> it's like the gas station, you can't get gas. The hotels are full. You know, the restaurant, you got to wait 30 minutes. And it's like, dang, there was like five people in here two weeks ago. So it's like. You know, you know that duck season is open. In a I, lot think of the only, I think there's only one place in Kansas that would qualify um, in that department of it's kind of a locally known where people just invade. I can only think of one that would be. Well, I meant as for Kansas, it was more pheasant hunting. Like I heard right. from a lot of the old timers that back in the yeah. day, like the towns would just grow by two or three thousand people, mm-hmm. you know, an opener of pheasant. And that's similar to opening day of duck in Arkansas. Okay. I definitely, in the 80s, growing up, we would always hunt upland opening day. And I don't remember how much it was talked about in the schools. But my memory is that it was, there, there was a presence of it. And you'd go out uh, pheasant quail hunting and there would be trucks on every road. And you're trying to beat people to, to fields that even a private field you're trying to beat them to. Because you don't know who all. So I do think there was a little bit in central Kansas that I just didn't even fully get that kind of took that route. <clears throat> Is kind of culturally, culturally. Now today, if I if I'm going to tell someone I work with or whatever that I'm a, a waterfowl hunter, I'd say one out of ten can relate in some way. It's like, oh, my husband does this, or oh yeah, I know so and so. But the vast majority of them, I would say, raise an eyebrow, and you kind of get, um, you eat it, right? Or oh, how can you how can you kill them? Especially if I if I make the comment, well, I love ducks. I love I love them. I think they're spectacular. That comment like blows their minds. It's like in this part of where I'm at, it's like so detached from your normal person. So in in Arkansas in the South, your your typical non hunting duck hunters or non hunt non hunters would they have that same kind of reaction as that I get, or is that not happen very often just because it's so ingrained they know more about it. i mean there's definitely spots that would have that i mean it's just like like your state as well you know the further out west you get in your state people are less likely to be what you're talking about versus people on the east side of your state it's yeah. the same thing in arkansas we have areas these metropolitan areas where there's probably some people like what you're talking about but people that are more out in the rural Stuttgart areas, you know, no, they're going to definitely know, yeah, uh, you know, all about duck hunting, or at least to some extent know about it. I mean, if you said, you know, you waterfowl hunt for a living in that area, they're going to be like, oh, oh, you God, you have a lodge, you know. Right, (laughs) they're just going to know. Yeah, immediately, yeah. Um, But for sure, I mean, I wouldn't say it's dominant culturally across the whole state. It's definitely a very popular sub subculture thing you know so yeah but focusing in on like the more waterfowl intensive waterfowl intensive areas if you went to like a church social um would you just expect to hear people talking about waterfowl hunting oh yeah for sure i mean yeah i mean for instance i did this super summer church count with joel and there was like two thousand kids there and there was at least 10 guys walking around with their duck calls blowing them like in the middle of summer that would like never this, happen that would never happen camp, you know like you just yeah. hear hail calls ringing out from like across the parking lot like yeah we're in arkansas for sure buddy i mean you know i can just see joel looking at you giving you a little wink like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so 
so yeah, it's, you know, it's super prevalent. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, I've started going to a new church and actually I'm thrilled because number one, my minister is a duck hunter. That's how I found out about the church. And number two, I've already met like three or four, like normally now when I'm going to church and I'm standing around before church, I'm talking about duck hunting. And I'm like, that's yeah. never been a part of my life ever. Yeah. Like, and that's, all right. that's similar here. You know, like my pastor at the church I go to, he had his own duck hunting show. And I mean, a lot of his metaphors and story metaphors have to do with duck hunting. So like <laughs> he'll connect stuff through duck hunting stories. And, you know, that's, that's just really common here. I mean, even the people that don't duck hunt, it's such a, a popper thing. It's a thing where people kind of act like they do sometimes, you know? Yeah. They act like they know a little bit about it, but it's, um, it's a good and bad thing, honestly. I mean, it's good because so many people are involved, um, but it's bad because it's, it drives up private land prices. I mean, mm-hmm. so many people duck hunt, so many of them are willing to pay thousands. So, getting like a private land spot here now is pretty much, you know, out the window as far as getting it cheap. You can still do it. It just takes a lot of work. And then on the public, it just makes this incredibly competitive environment. Um, It's night and day from where you're at and what you do. And I would say you wouldn't want it to get like it is in Arkansas, but I will say it makes great duck hunters in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about myself here. I'm just talking about, it makes people, there's so much competition. You have to get good or you're not going to kill ducks. I mean, yeah. And, um, I'm going to tie this into a Patreon question because it works so perfectly with what you're saying. So I was going to hold it off. I'm going to hit it now. Uh, Tom Markley asks, how difficult is it to gain permission on private land in Arkansas without paying either the landowner or leasing? I mean, you can always run into that guy that you just click with maybe you meet him at church or something and he's willing to let you go. But if they have a good spot and they know it, they know what it's worth. And it's almost as valuable as farming. You know, most people aren't going to let you go farm their land for free. Well, they're not going to let you go duck hunt on it either. Cause they know they can make, you know, some guys here, I mean, I've heard of little like hundred acre little ag spots going for $50,000. I mean, just crazy stuff, dude. Um, and I've watched that change in my lifetime. So it's super difficult now, but I will say back when I was hunting here a lot, me and Glenn knew a lot of people. We had a big circle and you could still find places. You just had to know that right guy who would rather lease it to somebody he knows and knows would treat it well versus just getting as much money as he could. And he didn't want to deal with the hassle of like leasing it to a guide or something. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's no North Dakota, where apparently I haven't been there. But apparently, you wander on North Dakota and you can just blink at a guy and get access. I yeah. mean, it's like hey. people make it sound like any place you find birds, you can just easily get access. Is the way it's portrayed to me. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, if it's not posted, you can just go on it. Which is what awesome. if it has the little purple? You know how like I I I know this isn't a law in Kansas, but people do it anyway. Where some places like if you if you post purple on like the fence posts and stuff, it means no access. Yeah, yeah, purple paint means posted. It's the same thing as a posted sign. I wonder if that's true in Kansas and I just don't know. I know it's true here. Like, you got to paint them so close together. Like, they got to be over, say, 100 yards or whatever. It must be because I've seen enough of them here that it must still be. I mean, the landowner is going to know more about that than I am. So if they're doing it, it must be that way. Yeah. 
I just wasn't experienced. Purple with paint that. means something's good back there. Yeah, and you better not <laughs> mess with it. I thought it meant welcome. <laughs> I got confused. Yeah. Sorry. I thought but, it meant duck hunt here. Yeah, what what is the adage better? It's easier to ask permission or ask forgiveness than later. Yeah. That's not a motto I follow, but I know I've heard people say it. No, I will say I do have a couple of stories of when I was an absolute fool. I've got one story I'm thinking about. I don't know if I, I have ever told you this, Jake, and I'm not going to tell it on air because it really embarrasses me a little bit and specifically my dad. Cause he let me talk, talk him into this. But it involved in us seeing a bunch of geese, me talking him into it, and my dad almost getting into a fist fight. That's all oh, I'll say. Have you heard yeah. that story? I have not. I'll definitely okay. have to hear that. I, I will. You know what? Maybe I'll, at some point I'll tell that to the patrons. But I know that my dad is so mad at himself that I was with it was me and Corn and him out driving around this place. And anyway, it got. Yeah, it was really, I was a stupid 20-year-old. Almost all 20-year-olds are stupid, but I was really stupid. Yeah, I was as well, bud. So. All right, so the last topic about the South I want to get on, I know that you and I sat down and talked about this at um, Hilltop for about a good 20 minutes, and it's about hunting with big groups. I, and I don't think I ever sent it to you, but I did a Patreon-only podcast where I talked extensively about this concept and how I think that we all do this. So I'm just going to be honest about myself. Um, when we have a set ways of doing things that we're really passionate about, if someone doesn't do it our way, it's so easy to have negative emotions about that activity. And in the podcast, I actually titled it. I'm trying to think it's not stupid um, because I'm <laughs> real realizing it with myself. My, my reaction to like, you and Aiden having a group of four and saying, we're going to go and try to round up people. I can tell you that I still struggle not to think that's not stupid. Quite honestly, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, but the it's that idea is like, so count. It's like looking at the sky and going, look, the sky is green. I'm like, no, it's blue idiot. No, it's green. I mean, it's like, I've, it's really tough for me. That's really tough for my mind to get around, but I've done lots and lots. I know you're a great guy. I know you're a man of God. I know Aiden is. So it really forced me to like, I've spent so much time thinking about hunting with big groups, breaking into a lot of, a lot of which I've discussed it just on Patreon to people. I mean, I've worked it through and worked it through and worked it through because I, I know that you're not stupid. I know the things you do aren't stupid. Um, that activity I really, really struggle with <laughs> really. So That's you and I sat, you and, you and I sat down for, well, everything I broke it down to this. Here's the two things, the two things that are most important about waterfowl hunting to me. Okay. Getting mallards absolutely feet down. A lot of, a lot of times guys say that mallards finished. They didn't finish. If their feet don't come out, they didn't finish. You might even say if they don't land, they didn't finish. Yeah. Um, I would say if their feet go down and they go into hover mode, they have finished. That's my definition of it. So m getting mileage to drop the landing gear is, is one out of the of two things I value the most. The other one is feeling the feeling of isolation, both of which I would contend are more difficult with more people. I would say with a lot of people, it's impossible for me to have the emotional feeling I'm feeling. It will never happen with 10 people. It will never happen with seven people. I'm looking for like, um, I described that meat eater used the expression Stephen rail, like soaking up the lonely, you know, like when you're in a lonely situation, but it's peaceful and godly and good. Yeah. That emotion 
is a huge part of what I'm seeking when I waterfowl hunt. When I came back to God in uh, like 2007 and eight, I had spent a whole year hunting by myself. The moments I had by myself, seeing a sunrise, being completely away from everyone else. It's like that year, the emotions I felt that year, cause I shot a lot of ducks and I did it all by myself. I'm constantly chasing that emotion. I can never find that emotion with more than, I might be able to find it with two or three, but beyond that, I'm not gonna find the emotion. And the, the more guys you add, specifically in these prairie marshes, as I'm sure you can, can uh, attend to, it becomes so much harder to get birds to put their feet down. And so you and I sat down for a good 20, 25 minutes and just talked about it. And I really truly feel after that conversation that I, I now have an understanding of it where before I had no understanding of it. I'm just like, that's stupid. What the hell are they doing? Right. And, but that's why I contemplated it so much sure. because I realized the differences. I realized who you are as a person who I respect and love as a friend and, and you're not going to do things that are, you know, so, so I've come a long circle to really understanding it. And if you could just talk to as much as you want as to the why you would have four people and say, no, we want eight. Let's go find eight. <laughs> Why that would be something that would be advantageous for you to do. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, we're all like that. We all tend to have negative stuff about things we're so passionate about. I'm the same way. But like I told you that day, I don't go out there for that lonely emotion. You know, that's not what I'm seeking out there. I, I do like that, but I seek that in the summertime kayaking down the Buffalo river, you know, like mm -hmm. I can get that in other ways when I'm out there to duck hunt, like I'm out there to duck hunt. And that's what I'm there for. Like, I'm not looking for anything inside myself other than like you said, a connection with God. But you know, another side of that with the big groups of people is you, you were talking about you turned it inward and that's awesome. But I duck hunt every day. So I have to, in my opinion, use it as a ministry because I was putting so much time to it. So I turn it outward. That gives me a, a time to pour into five, six, seven, eight guys that I'm not normally going to be around. You know, me and Aiden hunt every day, but when we get two of Aiden's friends and three people we don't know over here, that gives us a chance to, to just speak truth and the gospel to them in any way we can. So that's one part of it. I do look at it as, as a ministry. When I'm taking a bunch of guys hunting, I'm bringing them there to have a great hunt, but also to hopefully speak the Lord into their lives. I'm always looking for that opportunity. So, and, and hunting's a great way to do that. You, you're there, out there, standing in the water. There's not a lot to do but talk or shoot ducks. So it's just a great, you know, and I, I, I get to hunt a lot, so I like to experience the whole range as well. I like having those solo hunts like you talk about. And I like having those hunts where it's just me and you. And then those where it's just me, you, and Aiden. And then all the way up to where it's eight of us. I like going from one range to the other. I don't want it to be the same every time. You know, it's like I get to experience the, the pros and cons of all of it throughout the duck season. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get that wide range. So if I find a situation, like you said, there's not a lot of situations where you can hide eight, nine, ten guys. So when I find that situation, I'm jumping on it. So if I see a place we can hide, the birds are there. That's why me and Aiden would be calling people like, this is lining up to be able to do it. Let's do it. You know, you can't just do that any day you want and get away with it and actually have a good hunt. Because I'm like you, I want them feet down. So first of all, we, we're going to need a special hide. It's got to be right. And then 
you're gonna have to have special ducts doing it perfect you know it's got to all come together and so the reason why i would want that many guys there other than just the fellowship and hanging out and pouring into them and having a good time i like calling ducks and calling the shot and filming and decoying and playing that game and i get to play that game for four extra limits that day you know i get to call in because usually i'm the one calling or me and aiden together so instead of calling in 10 singles for me and aiden to shoot we get to call in 25 and that's just a much better day of duck hunting to me and like i said i like to be out there all day so it extends that you know we're there to lunch trying to get done which some people would argue is a bad thing i don't when it's duck season in my opinion it's time to hunt them i'm not trying to like not educate birds and all that stuff i mean like i'm all about the population i want it to thrive but when it's duck season i want to hunt them and i find enjoyment you know working 20 groups that morning and you get to do that with a lot of guys and i get to watch the game get played that much longer and you know it's like we had todd's son on this last one and watched him shoot his first limit of mallards i mean that was freaking priceless Aiden's buddy Jeremy, he was with us. He shot his first limit of mallards. I mean, that was awesome to watch. I mean, we had a group of seven guys, and they were two of those guys in that group. And so I got to watch the range of emotions from experienced guys like me and Aiden getting to call them in and do our thing all the way to two guys who had never shot a limit of mallards and them do their thing. And that was so awesome to watch all in one day. And just the teamwork that that takes to make that go together the scouting, the communicating, I love every piece of that. And the bigger the group of guys, or, you know, you, you don't want 15 guys, but if, if you can get a group of guys that are all on the same page and, and you click with all of them, it's a, an awesome thing to watch. And like I've talked about before, I would say another aspect to having a lot of guys is if you're in the right situation and you're hunting with skilled guys, I mean, it just is, in my opinion, the most effective way to attract ducks i mean when you got six to eight guys calling it's it would blow somebody's mind who's never seen it what you can do with that many guys i mean it's 10 times more effective than a spinner or anything else like if you catch some ducks on the right day and everybody's calling like that it's it's just crazy what you can do so um you can carry more decoys that way you know when we got six or eight guys we're running close to 100 150 decoys everybody's calling kicking water and you can just really do some special stuff on the ducks with that so just purely from a duck hunting strategy perspective it's more effective in my opinion than just two guys when you're trying to run traffic when you have the place to hide which you is, have to have the right place would you say which, you almost you have to have trees not necessarily i mean where are like, you gonna hunt where are you gonna hide 10 guys without trees I mean, or you have to have guys. the right situation. I mean, like, it can be done in an A-frame on a clean pond bank. I mean, guys do it all the well, time. If you have that many A-frames, right. Okay. Like, I mean, Todd was on a hunt in Oklahoma. They were literally on a flat dirt bank and hid 13 guys and shot 13 limits. I mean, like. Yeah, like big A-frames that are brushed properly. Yeah, or okay. layouts are brushed properly. There's other situations, but trees definitely help. There's no doubt about it. But if you got the right bank or levee or you know, where you can put layouts on it properly and just, you you really need the right hide and the right ducks. If you're going to have ducks that are going to circle six times, it's going to be tough. If you're on the right day where they're just diving right in, you know, obviously it's a lot easier. Right. So, but, but to the point of why we would call them guys, that's, 
why you're so excited. You find the right ducks, the right spot. Okay, we can pull this off. We don't get to do this this often. Let's get the posse together and ride mm -hmm. it on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and the rivalry, <laughs> the camaraderie of it becomes something special. Like you were explaining to me on the one hunt where you've got different people scouting in different areas. Everyone kind of has their task. One guy finds them. Everyone converges on it. You get it. It becomes like uh, well, the same feeling I guess you'd have if you played football or basketball after you went on a buzzer beater, you know, the same type of like, like when you're on a sports team, there's a bond there. I was trying to explain it to my wife. Cause we were watching last chance. You, I don't know if you've ever watched those shows, the Lance Chad so. football. It's fantastic up there on, it's a documentary through Juco sports basically. And, but it goes really in depth into the individuals on the team. It's as much about the individuals because it's like, this is their last chance. They're D one players out of Juco. And it really dives into their lives. And so I was trying to explain to my wife, like, the kind of bond. If you're on a basketball team that does something special or a baseball or whatever, the bond you have with those people, it's hard to explain to people yeah. that have never experienced it. And so I'm gathering that, like, that when you went with Todd, Nate, and you guys got 50 in two days, that same type of bond feeling was probably present. For sure. I mean, you go from, like – one of the guys there that was like his first time ever scouting that hard and he was the one that found the birds i mean just the excitement in How's his he voice from that right yeah yeah i mean when he called me he's like i found him dude like right. he was so jacked up and like just nervous about it because he wasn't sure if we should try this because you know he didn't want to be the one to say let's go here and then we we zero you know the pressure's on him now and so like he had all these emotions going through it and it was just so cool to watch and they slept on the hole that night. So you had the guy find it. You had the guy sleep on it and keep it. And right. then we all converged on it. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, having six guys scouting is another huge point. I mean, right. you're covering six times the ground than you could with just right. one of you. Yeah. you know, I mean, it's just so efficient. And so having, having that happen and then sharing that memory with those other six, seven, eight guys, you all share that moment in time. And it's kind of like you said, like winning a championship or, or winning a playoff game or whatever. You're all sharing that and everybody put in to make it happen. And you're all going to remember that for a lifetime, you know. So right. it's just it's just like when, when you and Aiden or me, you and Aiden have a hunt that was just epic. You know, we're all three like bonded on that hunt. Right. And uh, it's the same thing when you got 10 guys, you know. But I will say you need the right people. It can definitely be ruined if you got the the wrong guys doing the wrong thing. So you need a guy or two kind of running the hunt a little bit and, um, you know, calling the shot, making sure everybody's being safe and, and, and taking the right shots and keeping hit and all that stuff. So it definitely takes an element, extra element of work if you're the guy running it. But in my opinion, it's worth it. Well, and I talked to Matt Farmer and uh, on the episode, I think it's episode number three, and he is vehemently against big groups that aren't doing it right. But he will hunt in big groups that are doing it right. Yeah. But he is vocally speaks against big groups that aren't doing it right. Sure. And so for him, and I, this is a, another, I just thought it was fantastic the way he phrased it. It's like, you need someone in control that's going to keep it clean. Mm -hmm. A leader that's going to keep the hunt clean and together right. And I think, you know, it goes back to, you know, the way that my dad and I hunt so conservatively where we just, you know, pass shots a lot of people would take and everything. It's like a lot of my experience are is when I hunt with people that I don't know very well, inevitably they're taking shots that I wish they weren't taking. 
And so that's a negative emotion right right off the bat. Not that I, not that I would hunt with more guys and expect them. I mean, you, I've been on hunts where my shot selection loosens up. I mean, it's not like I'm always have to hunt that exact style all the time. But that's a problem that I've had. If I'm going to just join with someone else, I just expect that their shot selection is probably going to be something that I don't really care for. Um, and that it just automatically leans me to being like, well, I just want to keep to myself. I just want where you're in the situation where you're the, in control of it. You're calling the shots. You're the one keeping it clean. And so I would just default back to what Matt said about it. it it's got to be done properly and it's got to be done legally and clean. Yeah. And I've had bad experiences doing that. Typically what I'll do and, you know, Aiden does it now really well, really good, too. You know, he's good at doing this. We'll typically do it together if we're hunting together. But we'll get, huddle everybody up at the beginning and say, this is our goal. This is our plan. We're trying to get them in the decoys. Don't shoot till you hear the shot called. You know, so it's literally on me to say when we're going to take that shot. Because if you got ten guys with different – or eight guys or six guys with different ranges they want to shoot, I mean, that's just going to make a bad day. So right. with that many, in my opinion, you need somebody – calling the shot and you need to try to get them in there tight mm-hmm. and like matt said when it's not clean i mean when you got 10 guys firing at birds at 50 yards that's just not good i mean you're wounded birds left and right there's just so many shots going off you're gonna eventually hit those birds but probably right. not kill them and that's just not a good way to hunt in my opinion so we like to get them in tight and we explain that but someday sometimes you do get that guy or two who don't want to be a team player and i typically don't get been out of shape over it it's just like i make a mental note all right you're not we're not gonna be hunting <laughs> together again <laughs> so, i hope you enjoy today <laughs> right all right let me ask let me ask you a, a couple more questions about this so growing up we talked a lot about the culture in arkansas and like in the south how it's just so vastly different than a lot of places in the central flyway where there's no culture at all so if you let's say you're a sophomore, junior, senior in high school or early in college and everyone around knows that you're just a duck slayer, right? Yeah. Will you get more girls because of that fact? And I don't know about that. I don't know if it's enough to pull that. Would it get you, you know, a trade on something else cool like a a, a, a deer hunt or something somewhere else yeah but i don't know if it'd be enough to pull girls or not well i guess if, if it was the right girl <laughs> no no hold on if let me flush this out is it going to up your coolness status okay so like you think of like a big big man on campus like the quarterback of the football team right quarterback yeah. on the football team is almost always going to be sought after by looked at the guys as cool because he's the leader he's the man whether he's and they don't even have to be that physically facially attractive right once you position yourself as a male in that role the females follow right <laughs> yeah they just do that's just how it works sure so if you position yourself in the same way in the waterfowl community and the guys see you as that way wouldn't then also better opportunities with females come ah <sighs> It's, I guess so. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, there are definitely a lot of girls in Arkansas at duck hunt, and so they they get that world, and they get, you know, who's good at it, who can call, and all that stuff. I mean, right. so it's 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 definitely, like, in that culture, there, being the top duck hunters in Arkansas is definitely can be compared to being the quarterback. I mean, 
you're just like I said before, you hold a lot of currency. So people know if they go with you or they're friends with you, they're gonna kill ducks. You know, like <laughs> so, and they want to kill ducks. So whatever so they w- would you to, to push in a little more to that? Would you say that the desire to kill six, seven, eight, nine man limits a component of that in some way is social status? Mm, and yeah, for some people in Arkansas, for sure. I mean, having that pile and and being the guy that slays them. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's just like human nature to want to be the best at stuff for some people. Mm-hmm. And that is one verifiable way to be seen as the best. You kill the most. So. And way more, way more where you're from than where I'm from. Where, my, yeah, where I'm from, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not going to. You know, I mean, in the the niche group in the Midwest is just so much smaller than it is because it just doesn't perfeate into. No, like I mean, like pop culture you, of the area, I guess. If you smoke them in a duck hunting town in Arkansas, like everybody at school is going to be talking about it on Monday. So, <laughs> like, you know, there, like, there we go. <laughs> and the girls will follow. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe, but uh, it's tonight. Definitely... Ask your wife. When you're initially attracted to me, was part of it a little part because you heard what a killer I was? I doubt it for her. She was, she was, she knew about hunting like on a fringe view of it, but never was really involved with it. And she was from a bigger city. I mean, she's from like one of the biggest cities in Arkansas. So you you hear about it, but you don't really know. Like when she figured out I duck hunt, she had no idea what that really meant. Like that means. <laughs> basically i'm not gonna see you from november to february so like uh but she's 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 kind of love hunting and and really uh is the whole support system of what i do so her being right. so understanding about it i think a lot of girls have to face that in arkansas they have to realize that it's duck season and and things are about to be different for a few months yeah well i am i don't know if your wife is willing to do it but i'm gonna do a podcast where I interview three or four different girls and just have them talk, just talk to them about it. It's gonna I'll be try to talk her into fun. it. I don't know. Just, if just she put will. the seed and just get plant the seed and see if it's something I can find someone else. But I would love to get a wife of someone who hunts like every day, like you do. Yeah, I, I'm not going to find that here. You just don't have that. You just don't have guys that I know of. I've never met a guy in Kansas that's from Kansas, born in Kansas, that does that. I never have. Sure. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's a thing. So I would love to have a woman of a guy that does that and just talk to yeah. about it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that people in Kansas aren't like that. And, you know, Todd works for Onyx, and they've done a lot of studies on that. And it's really in all hunting. Like, people just from the South do it differently than people in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like, most people in the Midwest, it's more of a weekend thing. It's just something mm-hmm. they do. It's yeah. not who they are. Right, like, which is the, the whole South, point of this whole discussion. In the South, it's like who we are. And I think it a right. lot of it has to do with that social currency that it carries and just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, don't, I don't, we can't, we don't know why. We've had that discussion a lot, me and Todd. It's, it's hard to mm-hmm. say exactly why, but, you know, it's um, definitely a lot to that conversation to talk about for sure. Well, awesome. We are going to take this the rest of this conversation and it's going to be Patreon only. If you want to get in on live feeds like this where you can comment, listen, see the video feed, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting um, because we are going to take this one off the air. So I just want to thank um, Jake for coming on here. Man, I, I, 
seriously, I could just, we could just keep talking and talking and talking. I just want to just love it. I love our differences and I love our similarities. And I appreciate you coming on here and just really, really, you've expanded my knowledge in so many areas on this. I just really appreciate your time coming on. I appreciate you having me, man. I always enjoy talking to you. And like you said, I always learn a lot. So it's, it's always a fun time. For those of you that are listening to this publicly, this is the end. If you're here watching the stream, hang on, because we're going to talk about some really good stuff here as we close this out. But thank you. You have listened to another episode of the North American Watchtower.